Transformers Chronicles, The Marvel Years. Hello and welcome back to Transformers Chronicles. I'm Delvin, a.k.a. The Dark Web. And in case you're new to the show, welcome. And let me tell you what this thing is all about. We are going for a wild, crazy ride, chronicling the awesome, wacky, and yes, sometimes corny world of Marvel Comics, The Transformers. But I will never be going at it alone. First up, we have the founder of the Longbox Crusade the relative novice to the Transformers world, the seeker of the matrix of knowledge. His name is Pat Sampson. How you doing, Pat? I'm doing good, Delvin. Um, yeah, I, I don't, am I still a novice? Uh, I think we're still trying to figure that out. Relative knowledge yeah. now. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, you're, There's you're still so stuff I don't know. Here. Yeah, I still don't know you don't know. Lots of stories to come up. I mean, you know, just tons. But... You do have your feet wet, that's for sure. I, mm-hmm. I cannot argue that anymore. Yeah, it, I dip my toes in the energon cubes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Hopefully you're absorbing, you know, some good stuff from that. Is there anything that you want to tell us about your life before I move on to John and Maggie? Well, I recently had to travel to make it here and back for recording so fast that I felt like I was driving Mirage around. Mm. Yeah, had to just teleport from one place to the other very quickly. Watch out. You know, if you saw any planes or whatever, if you got blown mm-hmm. up out of the back, you're just, you're done. That's it. It's yep, all over. I'm done. That's it. Sweet. Well, we will move on to our Transformers expert, the lesser half of Merit Watching Cartoons and the Rod Pod, the provider of knowledge, Jonathan Schaefer Haynes. How's it going, John? Hello, Delvin. I'm not too bad. Since we spoke last all together here about Transformers. Uh, my classes are going along pretty well, and luckily two of the, the two of them are actually over, so I was down to only having two classes, and I figured, okay, that's great. Well, that'll leave me with way too much free time. Let's get a puppy. <laughs> and so we did. I mean, to be fair, it is something I had been bothering about, about for about eight years. Literally every day. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was just going to say, this is a good time to introduce the greater half of Mary Watch Cartoons. And let's not forget also the Rod Pod, Maggie Schaefer Hayes. Maggie, you can continue with the story about how you very nicely and only once, possibly twice, asked John for a puppy. Yeah. Well, I mean, my dog died several years ago now, the one that I got when I was about 16. And I wanted another dog, but we were just never in a really good place to have one. We didn't have enough space or whatever. And so now that we're in a one bedroom apartment, of course, now's the time <laughs> to do it. But we have a nice big backyard. It's totally cool. She's wonderful. Her name is Rhoda. She's currently 14 weeks old at the time of this recording. She is part, we're guessing, German Shepherd, part uh, some kind of cattle dog. Part Roadrunner. Part Mystery. Part Demon. Part Demon for sure. Mm-hmm. Like she and Mephisto. Tight. Yeah. Tight. Uh, so that's, yeah. Um, sleep deprivation is a thing. My new favorite hobby is sleeping, mm. which is unfortunately a hobby I don't get to engage with much anymore. Uh, <laughs> but, but Rhoda knows tricks. Yes. Um, she knows we just started doing sit pretty and she knows how to shake hands and she, we're working on spin <laughs> and, and play care. dead. Mm. I care. Right. Hopefully, we, if we've got I mean, dog owners in here, they they are riveted. Everyone a, else is like, shut up about your dog. Getting a puppy is like this all-consuming life event 
and it's wonderful, but I'm I'm so tired all <laughs> the time. I I have never had a pet. I've never owned a pet. However, uh, my in-laws did because they had a, a sort of similar sad story to where um, their youngest daughter brought home a uh, rescue from college. Um, can't remember that dog's name. Didn't like that dog. That dog sucked. But, you know, the family <laughs> loved them, of course, and my mother-in-law did, but that dog passed away and they were heartbroken. They're devastated. And sure enough, they went to a shelter and they picked out uh, a new dog, a puppy. Her name was Duchess, and uh, and Duchess was brand brand new. I mean, she came into the house, and I got to meet her at a very young age. And every time I came, like they were like doing things that you would pretty much expect to do with a newborn. They would have to put on white noise. There would be a certain time mm-hmm. at night that basically everyone would settle down quiet yeah. because they didn't want her to wake up and start barking at any noise. Like so, it took. Some growing pains, and I did not know that you had to do that with dogs at all. It yeah, was, it's, it's I had forgotten. Vacation. I had forgotten. It has been a long time since I've had a puppy, and it's basically like if your infant could jump out of the crib and run around the house everywhere and eat everything and he found, bite you repeatedly. Yes. Yeah. But we love Rhoda. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, it's I feel like you have something that you can add about pets as well. No. I've had two kids, two pets, so <laughs> been there, done that. Yes, there are similarities. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we've done I'll, I'll, white noise. Do you? Do you do yeah. the white noise? I mean, I sleep with nice. like a thunderstorm sound anyways, because I can't sleep without some kind of white noise playing, and it helps the dog. I play her various music during the day. And she, seems, she seems to prefer... <laughs> um, 80s uh, 80s dance-ish music that has electronic uh, beats to it. She's a big fan of Debbie Gibson. and um, Oh, sure it's not just only in her dreams? <laughs> you know, it does seem pretty. Write that down. I was wondering if you were going to have a quote for Rhoda, but Rhoda, Rhoda was a TV show, right? It wasn't yes. a song. She was yes. a character on uh, Mary Tyler Moore, and then she had her own Spinoff show, Valerie Harper. Valerie Harper played her. We're big fans. Yeah, and that's why we named her. And she is currently sleeping. So let's talk about Transformers while we Yes, let's let's do that. Let's let's do it very quietly. We will forego anything that I did that was transformative because the details of my life are quite inconsequential. Yes, the purpose of this podcast. You want to hear about you? How was your big weekend? Things are fine. My big weekend that Pat was talking about was fine, too. I went to uh, Grove Park Inn, a very fancy, scenic place in Asheville, North Carolina. I did this uh, just getting back today. Tomorrow is my birthday. I did it in celebration for my birthday, of which I will turn 45 years old. So um, fun weekend. And it was unexpected that we went up there. Asheville is up in the mountains and we were up in the mountains and it snowed unexpectedly. We were probably going to go out and venture into Asheville a little bit. But once it snowed, it said, I, well, both me and Miranda was like, well, we have a very nice room. Let's stay in the room and just enjoy each other's company and enjoy the resort. And that's what we did. The resort had great, like a couple of really cool restaurants that we went to. And the views were just absolutely amazing. And it was great. There's nothing else I can add to that. It was a fantastic time. Would love to go back. 
Uh, also very expensive. In fact, even me talking about it, I have to charge a hundred dollars to my credit card <laughs> just for the privilege of talking about Grove Park Inn. Yeah. But it was a fantastic time. So I appreciate you asking. And so we can keep things moving relatively quickly. The purpose of this podcast will be tackling all of Marvel's Transformers comics in order, starting with issue one and working our way to the series in at issue 80. We'll answer all questions that are brought up to the best of our ability and see how these books that we loved as a kid hold up to our cynical adult eyes. This podcast is guaranteed to be, you guessed it, more than meets the eye. So everyone, let's talk about the Marvel UK and the Man of Iron right after this promo. The Transformers will return after these messages. All right, our bags are packed and we got the snacks. It's time for the Lombox Crusade road trip to the Lombox Mobile crew. Shotgun. Shotgun. Dang it. Everyone buckled up. Here we go. Well, now that the garage is empty, Gene will have more space to record episodes of LBC Irregulars, the indexing of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes TV series. Oh, no. Did anyone remember to leave Clinton some food down in the basement? He's going to need it as he makes more episodes of Fan Film Fridays, his ongoing look at online fan films. Why are you speaking in such a scripted manner, Dark Web? Anyway, you can relax. I asked Rick, or was it Jeff? Who can remember? I asked the attic guy to come down from time to time to check in on Clinton. You know, take some breaks from recording Monday Movie Muck About, his movie review show. Weasel Skull, did you give Rick the key to the basement? Key. Sounds like LBC headquarters is in good hands, Death Probe. Right you are, Christados. Oh, Pat, can we stop off at KB Toy Store? I'm going to pick up some Transformers and G.I. Joes. They remind me of Transformers Chronicles and G.I. Joe Chronicles. Our show's going through the Marvel run of Transformers comics and the Devil's Do run of Joe comics. Well, while you guys are doing that, we can also stop by a Blockbuster video and get some tapes to watch for action film face-off. That's the show where we discuss two action films and have them duke it out to see which one is the episode champion. Is that VHS or beta? Eh, either one's fine. We've got a lot of stops to make, but if we can, let's squeeze in the Walden books and score some comics for us to talk about on Crusader Chronicles, the show where we move chronologically through the Amazing Spider-Man comics and include a bonus issue from the same release date as the Spidey recovery. I will definitely keep an eye out for our Walden books. It'll come in handy for the Pure Lombox Crusade episodes, our time capsule show where we take a deep dive into a randomly selected comic and talk about news, music, and movies, and ads that were popular when the books were released. I'll also be on the lookout for our electronic boutique, EB, if you guys don't know the lingo back then, so we can get some more comic-related video games for us to discuss on Comics to Council Crusade. Good thinking. If time permits, let's hit Circuit City. I need more positrons for our pop culture positcast show. The one where we find all the good stuff in pop culture that others seem to poo-poo. Positrons? Shut up and go with it. These old-timey, out-of-business store jokes doing anything for you folks? Well, if you like old-timey stuff, we also offer Saturday Matinee Theater. Our look back at old TV shows, serials, and films that have kind of been forgotten. I think that about covers it. We definitely want to be your road trip crew, folks. Whether it's your commute to work or a road trip of your own, why not pass the time with us, your friends at the Longbox Crusade? Once again, that's Longbox Crusade, available on all your finer podcatchers. Good job, team. I'm getting hungry. Pat, stop at the next Kenny Rogers Roasters that you see. Or Pentagons. Burger Chef! 
We now return to the Transformers. Welcome back. The issues we will be covering today, that's right, issues, are Transformers issue 33 and 34. And here's John with the spotlight. That's right. We're talking about the UK. And since they drive on the wrong side of the road, we will spotlight on the wrong side of the episode. I don't think that's the same thing. It's really best not to argue with him about this. He starts doing what he thinks is a British accent, and then the next thing you know, you're eating bangers and pears all week. Sometimes we eat apples and mash. I think I can hear our listeners from across the pond screaming from here. It's fine. You can do the spotlight now, but you still have to do both cover descriptions. Aw, man. And no accent. All right. I'm going to ignore that. I Marvel UK. Yeah, the UK version of the original Transformers comics uh, was produced by Marvel UK. Now, the story of the relationship between Marvel proper and Marvel uh, UK is really complicated and far beyond the scope of this episode. But in terms of the Transformers issues that they did, it began as a simple reprint book where they would take a single U.S. story and they'd split it among two issues. They were magazine-sized, and they would include that plus a backup comic, usually a humor comic, and then some prose sometimes, and then letters. Uh, But then as they were uh, getting along, it became uh, apparent they were going to catch up with the U.S. comics uh, too quickly to be able to continue this. So they got permission to be able to write their own stories which took place between either in the background of or between other stories. There were over 160 new stories not included in the U.S. comic that were produced for the U.K. market. They introduced um, many new characters, such as Amitrate Zaron. There's some absolutely classic storylines uh, in this run, most, run, most of them written by Simon Furman. Uh, they included, uh, there is a story called Target 2006, which involves Galvatron time traveling from between scenes in Transformers, the movie, and going back. Uh, and I think John M. Wilson talked a bit about it when he was on there. It's, it is an incredible story. It involves he and Ultra Magnus fighting a battle that just, that takes the entire issue and it is absolutely a brutal fight scene worth seeking out. It is on, it is on Comixology Unlimited if you can navigate the new update and things. Anywho, uh, initially the UK exclusive stories where they were heavily tied into US continuity and were not able, they were not allowed to develop the characters anywhere beyond how they had been. But then once the um, animated movie was released and introduced to a new generation of future characters, which were all ignored, pretty much by the Marvel ones, like, so Hot Rod, Cup, Ultra Magnus, and those, uh, that's when it, the UK series kind of diverges away and doesn't try to tie itself to the regular Marvel one as much and does a bunch of stories that take place on Cybertron or in space and things. They did have a regular letter column like the Marvel one, but in those, they were answered by Transformers, like usually Blaster or Grimlock. So that was kind of fun. Nice. Yeah, they, they were um, published bi-monthly. Well, actually, it's British, so they would say fortnightly, so I'll say that too. <laughs> uh, so from issues 1 to 26, and then weekly for a while, and then back to fortnightly uh, until 
its conclusion and they had 332 issues. Uh, issue 289 was the last one to contain new um, UK Transformers stories because Simon Furman had at that point left Marvel UK to come and write the regular Transformers story, which we'll get to if that's going to be in a few months coming up here. Actually, more months than I thought initially, but... Uh, the, the UK series has a legacy that lasts outside of its own continuity. Uh, Simon Furman created far-reaching characters and concepts such as Primus, the, the Transformers God, and Death's Head for the Marvel UK series. Uh, he would be recreated as Death's Head 2 and make his way over to the regular Marvel Universe. And the, the UK series also introduced concepts like a Transformers religion and more complicated origins for them, as well as an origin for Unicron. Um, many of these ideas have made their way over to the U.S. Marvel title when Furman took over there, where he got to expand upon and complete some of the ideas. And all of pretty much all of these concepts have been picked up by the various IDW comics uh, to one degree or another, as were British kids like uh, John Barber, Nick Roche, and James Roberts grew up reading these books and were heavily influenced there when they grew up and were given the opportunity to create their own Transformers universes. And that is Transformers UK in a nutshell. <laughs> Moving on to these covers here. So the cover for Transformers 33, we will start with. Um, the corner box actually contains an anomaly from what we've seen, been seeing usually. It, does, it contains Grimlock in his T-Rex form, but standing in front of a Union Jack, which is so enough to tell us something's up. There is a blurb on the front um, informing us that this is a reprint of a UK story. What we see on the cover, it is from the point of view of you, the reader, and your lance um, pointing straight up at an askew or, dare I say, rakish angle. For you are a medieval knight, as noticed by the rest of your buddies all over the place. Also medieval knights are riding off in order to fight against a grand enemy, which appears to be an, a transformer of some sort, colored red and blue. Uh, despite the fierce, well, fierce way it looks and its immense size, it does appear, if you look at it, to be kind of shrinking away back at you, uh, which is an interesting thing that may have implications for later. The background has a really well done uh, series of hills and trees, and there's a whole sky and clouds and, and everything. The Transformers logo is in yellow, which nicely offsets the blue sky and reminds us why they don't get to do a lot of blue things on uh, on our comic book pages very much. The cover for issue 34, on the other hand, um, has Grimlock. The more than meets the eye is in basic black. The Transformers logo is also in black with orange trim. Uh, we see in a large uh, splash bubble, it says, Man of Iron. As Optimus Prime is back uh, for a guest appearance from the past. So that's all nice and cool. He is standing in front of a medieval castle in the background, defending a small child uh, who is cowering below him. And the being he's defending him from appears to be a seeker of undetermined uh, origin with the coloring. I'm just going to say it's Starscream, who is shooting our Optimus Prime in the chest and the Lasers are blasting off in all directions. The sky is, uh, uh, seems to be uh, at some point before sunrise or sunset, as it is a uh, basically yellow with an orange streak clouds. And there is another blast that says, More Amazing Marvel Majesty. 
they do like their alliteration there at the House of Ideas. Ah, just brief thoughts about these. I think they're interesting. They definitely do what they're supposed to. In this case, you know, kind of preview what's going on to a degree of what's going in, as well as let you know that something's different than normal. So even if you weren't a regular reader and you just suddenly were like, hey, a British Transformers story? Why not? Uh, I like the first one a little better than the second one. I do like the point of view angle of it. And and it, it does add an air of mystery that is kind of fun and raises questions and, and would make me want to read it. The second one, I don't know, to me seems a little rushed and the the scaling is weird and off. It's probably supposed to be, you know, Starscream is way in the background, but that's not how it comes across. It looks like he's a very tiny Starscream who's shooting really big lasers that are bouncing off of Optimus. Optimus Aloysius Prime, or this is a British one, what, Optimus Nigel Prime? In this case, Aloysius could work. Isn't that a British name? It, it is now. Yeah. Since, since I can't even figure out bangers and mash properly, I, I'm going to screw up all British stuff. Ah, and those are my thoughts of my thought, my description, and then basic thoughts of the covers. What do you guys think? Pat, go for it. Like John, I do agree. Issue 33 is the better of the two, and the reasoning for that, I like the background comes together quite nicely uh plus you get to see the older i'm gonna call old time you know knights and that with their gel sticks and all that i i think just that background really helps make this one stand out and since you know that it is a reprint of a uk story that's what makes it even more unique to see as far as the 34 with optimus prime on there if it wasn't for reading 33, then seeing 34's cover, you go, oh, you know, I'd be wondering, why is Prime in this one? Where is he? What's going on? But they kind of say that in the beginning. So, um, which wasn't, didn't make it a big surprise for me later on when I saw this cover. But yeah, like John said, this one's just not as, as much standout for me on this one, on the, on 34. How about you, Delvin? So, I think 34 covers better than 33, actually. Maybe it's because I'm an Optimus Prime mark, and I think he's cool. Yeah. And I can forgive that he is being shot by what apparently looks like a Decepticon drone, <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to an actual Seeker plane. Like, that plane is tiny. Uh, I, I don't know, like, what, what plane that would be, but I did like Optimus Prime doing Optimus Prime things, that is, defending the least of us. I, like what also threw me off from the first cover is that I don't know who the heck that Decepticon is. There is no Decepticon that is so gaudily colored. Uh, so I was like, I, I don't know who the heck that is. John, do you have any idea? That is what we like to call a continuity error or a miscommunication from the cover artist because it is supposed to be the Man of Iron, who is an Autobot, mm -hmm. and it's supposed mm -hmm. to be an Autobot symbol. So, yes, I can understand your confusion on that. It um, was pretty confusing to a lot of people and um, I read it at the time. But, yeah, it's um, just a meant to evoke mystery. So Nice. And very quickly, I, I did do some looking because I, I saw that Charles Vess is the one who uh, drew the cover for 33. Mm -hmm. Just doing a very quick look, Charles Vess is a little bit of a legend He's a Eisner Award winner <laughs> uh, three times, no less. So, I mean, dude has some pedigree. 
most famous for working with Neil Gaiman in Sandman. So, yes. uh, oh, yeah, uh, cool. dude has uh, some pedigree. So for him to lend his talents to a Transformers cover is something cool. So I don't want to detract from it too much. Uh, but my Optimus Prime marking has me liking uh, the second cover better than the first. I didn't think the first one was bad. I just remember looking at it in the very first thought of the Transformer that I thought it was. And I know John's going to know what I'm talking about. You remember the three robots that trans, the Decepticons that transformed into the camera? Yeah, reflector. You had to like, yeah, reflector that you had to send away like in, like in order. And it was all special and custom. That's what I thought it was at first. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, no, made no appearance in the book. So that's not who it was. But uh, still, uh, Charles Vest, a comic books legend. It's very cool that he lent his talents to Transformers. Uh, Maggie, what do you think about the covers? Uh, so with the cover for number 33, I quite liked that one. I think the one arm seems to be a little too long. Mm -hmm. Um, but I really did think that it was cool to have it be um, from the reader's perspective, just with the hand and the lance. And, and that's all it takes to suddenly make it be like you're one of these knights going after this big transformer. I, I thought that was kind of a cool idea. I thought that was neat to put on a cover. Um, I also would like to say for anybody listening who knows how to make T-shirts, I want Grimlock in front of a Union Jack. That is a shirt I would like to own. Grimlock rule Britannia. Britannia rule way. Right. Uh, so yeah, Grimlock in front of a Union Jack on a t-shirt, please. I wear a size large. Uh, this, <laughs> the one for uh, number 34, I think, I, I agree with John. The scaling's kind of funny. That plane is real small, and so is the castle. It's also very small. Um, but like Delvin, I do like seeing Optimus defending uh, little Sammy, little Sammy yep. Kins. I call him British Buster. British Buster. Yep, yep, for sure. British Buster. Got to make sure these comic books were endangering the lives of children at all times. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm just to that. Even in the UK ones. Nice, nice. We have talked about two covers, four of us. That's eight. I have no idea what that multiplication has to do with anything. So let's go to the ratings. Here on Transformers Chronicles, we rate things on a scale of one to ten, just like the text specs of old. On the original toys, one being the lowest, 10 being the highest, Pat being the first person to rate both 33 and 34. Mm, no pressure, Pat. Yeah. I, I, do I get one for each or do I have to combine them in a total? Ooh. Good no, question. I, I, would never ask, I would never ask you to do math on podcasts. That, because if you, be cool. if, <laughs> yeah, if you do that, that would wind up with a – one half, depending on how we did it. You know, we can't have that. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can't have half. So you're right. We cannot you're have right. that. So a whole number for both issues, Pat. Oh, okay. I will go with a eight for 33, and I will go with a six for 34. Okay. You hate Optimus Prime? Got it. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> to John. John, what would you rate? Joy. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't hate Optimus Prime. <laughs> don't put words in my mouth. Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> He's not John, back yet to me, so I can't be like, oh, I love him. You know what? That's, that's fair. He's not back yet. He's dead but to me. He's dead are, to me right now. He, he is dead to you. Dead to but. But but you can still love it. Anyway, John, what would you rate 33? I'm going to go with Pat's 
I agree with that wholeheartedly. The first one's an eight, I love it a lot. The second one's a six. The only, the uh, the scaling on the second one um, kind of throws me off, and especially as because I'm primarily going to compare it to the first one, which I like better. I do like Optimus seeing Optimus Prime again. As a kid, I especially loved that I saw Optimus Prime again because even if it was just for two issues in a story from the past, I was thrilled. And it was he's just so- saying that he's a hater too. <laughs> you just don't want to get. See, but he he has more experience, so it, it's it completely detracts from the hate. Yeah. There there are no rules here. Maggie, covers thirty three, thirty four. What would you? I'm rate glad them? there are no rules because I'm also going to give the issue thirty three and eight and issue thirty four a six. Oh oh oh! So uh oh. I started she, to fall off. Everybody cat. follows, but I'm the only hater here. <laughs> she, she, she's a, she's a lady, Pat. It's perfectly acceptable, and you know that you would call that out. It like, makes you a bigger hater. <laughs> Look, I yeah. I don't make the rules here, even though I'm completely making up the rules as I go along. <laughs> 33. I, if, if you look at our if you look at our bylaws, which Delvin <laughs> wrote, it says I don't make the rules, Delvin. <laughs> Yeah, so. I'm gonna have to get Laurel involved in this. That's it. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, while you're while you're doing that, I am gonna be the only one who rates 33 lower than 34. Uh, I'm gonna rate 33 a six, and I'm gonna rate 34 a seven. I wasn't enamored with either of them, even though e- neither one of them were bad to me. Uh, and I'm probably underrating the the first cover, to be honest with you, because. I want to say that I really do admire that Marvel took a break to give the fans something that they actually were demanding. Because, I mean, it's easy for us now in the year of our Lord, 2022, to find British issues of the Transformers. But back in 1987, Mm -mm, no. I mean, unless you just happen to be one of those people who were going across the pond or you had a mate across the pond. Uh, which I'm just going to assume the vast majority of American comic book collectors did not have. These were brand new stories. And so for them to even take a break from a pretty tense moment that happened in issue 32, by the way, and took that break to come up with this, it was bold. And they started out with a good cover and then they continued with another good cover. That was return of uh, a fan favorite of Optimus Prime. So I just want to say that and, and be complimentary of it because I'm not really trying to put either cover down. And with that, here's Pat with the credits for both issues. All right. Well, Transformers 33, its on sale date was July 14th, 1987, but it's got a cover date of October 1987. Cover price is $1. Story was by Steve Parkhouse. Artist is John Ridgway. Letters is Richard Starkings. Color is Nilsson Yamtov. Editor is Don Daly. And cover credits go to Charles Vess. And for issue number 34, it went on sale August 18th of 1987. Cover date was November of 1987. Still only a dollar. And the story again was by Steve Parkhouse. Artist is Michael T. Collins. Letters is Richard Starlings or Richard Starkings. Colors go to Gina Hart. Editor is Don Daly and cover credits Tom Morgan. And all that's thanks to Mike's Amazing World and TFWiki.net. Back to you, Delvin. 
Thank you, Pat. Let's get to the synopsis. Ugh, I'm sorry. I, I've got, that was rude of me. In a world. Transform. Where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the Transformers. The Transformers. More than meets the eye. Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticon. Transformers. The Transformers from Marvel Comics. The title of this story was Man of Iron. Simon Sinek, appropriately enough a British-American author, has a book called Start With Lie, where he discusses a key tenet of begin with the end in mind. So with that in mind, the Autobots millions of years ago had a pretty good idea to send an emissary to guide the Autobots stuck on planet Earth. This robot was awaiting reactivation and was flanked by a guide and protector who was dubbed as the Man of Iron. What mysteries could this emissary have solved? What wonders could this emissary have uncovered? What revelation could this emissary have unearthed? Eh, we'll never know. Jazz blew him up on Optimus Prime's orders because Optimus was worried the Decepticons would attack and endanger human life, which happened anyway, which kind of makes Optimus right, but yeah, cue the Curb Your Enthusiasm music here. Oh yeah, the Autobots kidnap the young kid too, but once the kid gets through whatever the British call therapy, he'll be right as rain. Sound as a pound. Fit as a fiddle and Bob drum. Now let's talk about the book. Here on Transformers Chronicles, uh, we talk about highs, lows, in-betweens, and we have a big old discussion about what's what. Uh, let's start the discussion with, let's go with John. John, let's talk about the Man of Iron story. What do you think? Like, give me a high, low, or whatever you feel. Yeah, just kind of, you know, hundred the 100-mile view of the whole thing. I'm really curious to see what, every, what all of you are going to think about this, because this is one I could understand why anyone either loves it or finds it nonsense or anything in between. This for me is a great little snapshot in what could have been because everything about it, the pacing, the tone is different from anything else we've seen before. So we get these things that are just so neat that, that are different, like the absolute brutality of the fights. They're yes. all, we can talk about that more in detail later, but that fights, those fights are shocking almost to watch and so yeah. different. Can you, uh, it, can you think of another time in any continuity where Starscream and the sweep show up and it isn't just Starscream babbling, you know, about how to destroy <laughs> the uh, Autobots, all of these things. They say nothing. It's just, it's all business and it's all really, really scary business. It has a definite different feel from anything that we really have seen. So I, I like that as a table setter. Maggie, go ahead. Um, why was it pointed out? It, it was pointed out specifically that the Transformer, who apparently was an Autobot under the castle, why was it mentioned specifically that it had the location of Cybertron? Because don't they know where Cybertron is? Not at this time. They uh, don't? They, this is very early on. Actually, when it takes place is a little wonky, but it takes place at some point during the original four issues during that miniseries. And it's hard to tell when because it doesn't really seem to be. It seems to be weird that they found the time during everything else that was going on in their critical fuel shortage to hop in a spaceship and fly on over to the UK, you know, with a big chunk of them and, and yeah. do this. But 
But it was apparently it was important enough to do if they thought they could find the location of Cybertron, which at this point, their goal, they had two goals, get enough fuel to live and get off this rock. But how do they not know where they're home? But they're from there. They're from, they're from there, but they've been displaced for four million years, Maggie. They've been in a, oh. and Cybertron at this point in continuity is literally hurtling through space. Okay. So it's so, moved since they were last. Yes. Yeah, so they literally don't know where they, they live ex- anymore. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. I was a little thrown by that. I was like, why do, why don't they know where they live? <laughs> I don't understand. Okay. Yeah. Good. Question. That's an excellent answer. explanation, uh, John. John, I didn't know that. I didn't know that this storyline was set around the original four. So excellent points. Very excellent points. Pat, what do you have? Well, I was going to ask when this issue was in. So that answers my question on that. But I want to go back to the artwork and the action in this. Oh, yeah. Man, I was surprised. And all of a sudden I seen, oh, wow, that one got really blown up. His leg got blown up and all that. And I was yeah. like, holy cow. This so is- Trailbreaker's dead then, right? He's just he's just dead. Well, he's, <laughs> it, well, he's not dead, but I mean, <laughs> sure it was very striking that he transformed. Yeah. He's like, I am ruined. <laughs> I am just ruined. I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, he's like mangled in that. I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. And I thought it was cool to have that kind of consequences going on like that, where, yeah, you're not taking them off of the the table but he ain't gonna be helping anymore for a while you know he's got to get back and get looked at it and i like that i thought it was really cool concept to have that happening in here and and made the stakes a little more ramped it up a little bit more yeah i was definitely taken aback in a good way uh by Mm -hmm. the action that was in the story the action was uh particularly in the second um story second issue uh, pretty fast and furious, uh, and it had consequences, just like you were saying. And it was like, and, and they were shown. It wasn't any off-panel pa- violence. There were there was plenty of on-panel violence that happened mm-hmm. with both Decepticon and Autobot. And if that is how Marvel UK went, that's actually kind of a cool thing because it shows you that they were unafraid with their storytelling, but it also gives the opportunity for more of the robots to reveal themselves. I mean, let's say your favorite robot got blasted away. Maybe there's another robot in the toy line that could be replaced. And you get to see and meet that transformer and say, Hey, I never knew about this transformer. This transformer was mm-hmm. pretty cool. So I definitely like that. Um, I thought the story overall, just my overall thoughts was that it was a slow burn, but it was definitely a rewarding one. And it ended in, man, I just, it actually made me sad. Because, you know, they had this really yeah. good idea, you know, the Autobots did. They sent this emissary or whatever, and they were at such a point of desperation that they couldn't even really explore it. Like, I mean, imagine that. They're like, yeah, this thing actually could be a big help to us, but we don't really have the resources to protect it in order to even dig it up and and see what the heck it is. So we just have to destroy it so the Decepticons don't get it. Like, oh man, that is that's that's war. <laughs> that's that's literally war. But good God, that's freaking depressing to me. It it is was really sad, and and for the poor kid, 
I mean, at the end of it, it's basically, and he spent the rest of his life having horrible nightmares the end. (laughs) (laughs) But again, I love any time that they can deal with, and this one does more so than almost anything, deals with the consequences of what having actual giant robots that could turn into effective military machines and vehicles that would be firing missiles at each other outside of your small English town. And the other thing I love, the this creative team wrote a lot of books together on the UK Doctor Who comics. This one okay. really feels, I don't know if you guys have watched any of the old Doctor Who, but but this one really is paced like that. You know, starting with the humans from their point of view, just slowly going about their day, everything's good. And then suddenly alien, or in this case, you know, sweeps coming in and seeing it down from their point of view and seeing, I thought, especially the the initial thing with the sweep showing up and dropping the bomb and everyone scattering. That was just scary. You know, we've seen that very thing done before in other issues many, many times, but it seems so cartoony because it's meant more so to ape the tone of the the cartoon. Much so, you know, much more of a kid's thing. This is serious business. And yeah. And I think the art in this actually plays off of that very well too, where it's not super cartoony and they're not trying to mirror that kind of a thing. So the the people and, and the areas looked more realistic so to say mm-hmm. so real quick real quick what do you, what did you think about that pat did you like the artwork for the two issues it was jarring at first because i was so used to what i've read before but mm-hmm. then i started to enjoy it and like jonathan said the pacing in it i found kind of refreshing once i got used to it because okay. it, there was some word there it was kind of wordy in the beginning a little bit but then there was just pages of just action. So it was kind of a slow, go through it a little quick and then slow and then go through it again. And just like that. And I liked it. Okay. Maggie, what do you think? What do you think about the artwork? I really liked the artwork. I actually prefer it. I think it's a, it's richer. It's almost like more got a depth of color. Um, I think that the art style is a little more sophisticated than the American one. I really liked it. I liked it a lot. It reminded me of um, art styles in, in like kids books that I read when I was younger. Um, Like it it almost had a, like almost like you want to touch it because the colors Mm -hmm. look so smooth. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, like this nice inky color to that. I I liked it. <laughs> I liked the art. Most of the books that we have seen from the Transformers have been drawn by Don Perlin, and we did a um, Pat and I and uh, Jared and Jason did a Crusade Miss where John Ringer brought an issue of the Defenders. And the Defenders uh, was drawn by Don Perlin, and I remember seeing Perlin's. Marvel comic book artwork, and it was it was similar to how he draws Transformers, very cartoony, but like beautiful to look at. Really good artwork, and this is more realistic artwork. And I remember thinking, kind of as a kid, oh, I don't like this. And as an adult, I remember thinking, well, this is different from what I'm used to. I'm not the craziest craziest about it, but Maggie brings up just such a good point because, like, they did a great job of having the kid Sammy 
where he was crawling in a tree for his arrow, and then he turns and looks, and he sees Jazz's face, and he flips out, and it's like, that was perfect artwork, because Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, we're used to seeing Jazz look like that, or whatever, but like, could you imagine being like someone crawling up in a tree, and then all of a sudden you look and see this gigantic metal organism that, wow. It would uh, it would terrify you. It absolutely oh, would. Yeah. So I that was, that was so well drawn. So well. I think this art really, really benefits this story. It's it's hard to directly compare it in terms of, you know, which I like better. I love it for this story. It makes it seem, you know, grounded grounded in reality, if that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. it's like Yeah. The bit you're talking about in particular um, is is really effective to read if you're watching it in the guided view in the uh, where it goes panel by panel. Do that slowly and reading it, and it builds up. And then jazz. Hi, there's jazz doing yet again, which will he'll do even more later. What we've seen him do, do twice in the the American one, which is endanger the life of a human. <laughs> so good to know he's still keeping on that over across the pond. <laughs> But he sounds like Scatman Carruthers, though, you know. Come off in my car, kids. Scooby Doo, baby. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess, make picture reading that dialogue with the voice of Scatman Carruthers makes it seem, well, I don't know if it makes it seem better or worse because that dialogue is really. Yeah, that was one of the things I pointed out when I got done reading it. Like, he was cringy. Yeah, like he's way too reassuring with this yeah. kid. I'm like, no, this is the kind of thing predators say to yeah. young children. Like, I'm like, don't is- get in the car, kid. Don't get yeah, in don't, the car. I was rooting for yeah. him to not get in the car. I'm like, don't do it. Stranger danger. And, and the lesson is, it was a bunch of robots, and you had a great adventure. Yeah. And then nightmares for the rest of your life. <laughs> and then nightmares for the rest well, of your life. They did say at the bottom, and I do appreciate yeah. it. It's like, yeah, don't <laughs> don't get it in a car like this ever in real life, kids. And it's like, yeah, yes. you know, no, absolutely not. You might not ever be seen again if that were the case. Uh, mm-hmm. We've sort of been, we, we bandied about like on round one, sort of, and I sort of threw in another one. But let's at least go through one more if anyone has any uh, big thoughts or closing thoughts or something that they want to discuss. We can start back with John. Uh, I love the way the, uh, again, looking at it as a slice of a, a thing that could have been, I love the way the Autobots act in this. They are so alien in the way that they talk, in the way that they seem to have trouble, you know, communicating with the kid, which as we know is because the only humans Optimus Prime's met before this point are, are Spark Plug and Buster Witwicky and Spider-Man. And now this British kid. <laughs> so, man, hopefully he doesn't expect the kid to be able to make fuel for them or climb up the side of a wall, but he's got to be pretty confused by now. But, no, I like that they that their names are code names. Yeah, right? I J- like that, too. I thought that was cool. Jazz is Autobot leader to code name Jazz. It, can you imagine if this was your fo- first exposure to Transformers? If this was, like, the first thing you read... And you didn't know an Autobot from a Decepticon, and you're reading, it, and it's just the these weird robots acting act creepy and kidnapping kids, and then you find out, wait, these are the guys we're supposed to root for. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what, and you bring up some good points, uh, and one of those is definitely uh, the code names. You're right. Uh, I, I do like how they sort of added that little extra layer. It, it took nothing 
but it made a ton of sense to where they're like, yeah, you wouldn't really understand what my Cybertronian name is, but I go by Jazz. And since this is a war, they absolutely would mm-hmm. have those formalities like they did as well about the communications, encoding everything, talking back to Autobot leader and all that. So those are nice little nuances. Maggie, what would you like to add? Um, I think just to go back quickly to the the combat scenes in these two issues really are very effective. It it was kind of strange. I, I didn't notice that I was missing like the banter that we're so used to seeing constantly in American comic books. I think of Spider-Man a lot, but in the Transformers books too, they're, they're always like, you know, talking wise and whatever while they're fighting. Or at least pointing out what their weapon is. Yeah, right, calling each other by their first names. Uh, Not these guys. They're no, all business. Yeah. And I thought that was, it made it seem like a much more mature story. Um, it, it was a, just a really different kind of Transformers comic book experience. And I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I was a little confused by like w- why they blew up the Autobot under the castle. It, it, it is, I think, though, um, worth pointing out just the, the sacrifice that the Autobots made there when they decided, well, we'd better blow it up so that the Decepticons don't get it. You know, and, and they don't know what they did. You know, they don't know what they're missing out on. The text is ambiguous because at that point, it seems like they didn't. But earlier when Jazz is talking, yeah, he says that there could be any number yeah, of Autobots the, there. And, and, and they it just makes, blow it up anyway. It makes Optimus's decision seem really callous. And But the thing is, I, I don't it, – maybe it is. And Simon Furman actually thought it was a little callous and – it's, I, I would disagree. He's in the middle of a war in a horrible situation, which is the epitome of behind enemy lines. And you have to, he's the leader and he had to make that decision. We've seen Optimus Prime make, you know, very cold hearted, calculated decisions before with skids, you know, mm-hmm. well, before, after. So I think it's, it is in character. He's, Optimus Prime is more, way more Captain America than Superman. You know, Superman would always find do his absolute best to try to find the way to save the most amount of lives. Uh, so will Captain America, but Captain America is at its heart a soldier. And if he's fighting a war, he's going to do what he has to do. It does paint them out as being far more alien and thinking in much more logical terms than humans would, which is also you know, an interesting bit of development for them or would have been an interesting place to go with them. Pat, you're up. Well, I want to talk about... The actually why they did these was it because were people really demanding these or was it maybe you know was there something else going on with Marvel like oh man we've got to catch up on our stuff that let's get say they want them and then put them in as you know like a backfill to my knowledge it was due to demand but John might have a little bit more backstory than I do there was at least some demand they at least. There were a lot of mentions in the letter columns over the years because okay. Transformers at, at about this point, a little bit before this point, especially it was extremely popular. The comics were selling very well. You know, this was a little bit after the movie and the stuff. Sure. And when people started realizing that there was more Transformers comics that they could read, okay. they were really they were asking for reprints. This might have been a, a floater to see how well it sold to see if they wanted to do a reprint mm. series. Because they did it with um, G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. They did G.I. Joe European Missions, Mission. which are reprints of the Action Force, mm-hmm. um, which is similar 
situation with Marvel UK is this. Okay. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting and and why they chose this particular one. Well, this was the first one. So I think they just picked which it is odd that they chose this one because these are the this is the first story. It's first story it is, in the UK side? Yeah, the first, oh. the first original UK story it is. So oh, this okay. was so this would have been how they would have already gotten if they would have been buying them at this point, they would have gotten to read um the first two of the American ones and okay. then this and then three side. and four, I think, is how okay. it went. Okay. Oh, interesting. All right. Yeah. Any other uh, comments or questions, Pat? No, I think we've had some pretty good discussion about it. I would agree. I think we've had some great discussion about it. And I think we've run the gamut. I don't have anything else to add. I'm glad that there was an overall enjoyment of the story. I'm glad that everyone seemed to appreciate the different element that was brought to the story. It's time for us now to talk about who had the touch, where we talk about which character in the story stood out the most, Autobot, Decepticon, or human. John, what do you think? Who had the touch for the Man of Iron storyline? I am not certain. I'm going to give it to Blue Streak, just because that was that was a pretty badass uh, rescue at that point for Blue Streak to be um, dashing on in, showing up, and cup. Pow! Knocked that plane out of the sky. The only person who actually did make a quip because he's blue yeah. streaking on this thing. Not only knocked that plane, the seeker out of the sky, I mean, it hit the ground and it's skidded. It's like, oh, man. Oh, that didn't look good. <laughs> Pat, who had the touch? This is kind of hard in these to pick mm-hmm. one that did because, boy, you know, I I can't say Sammy. I, I just don't think Sammy had anything really the knowledge they wanted from him, but that was about it. Boy, you know what? I'm going to go with uh, the seeker that took out the, the Autobot that we talked about and how he was all mangled up. I'm going to go with that guy because he had a good shot to get him out. Okay, the one who took out uh, Trailblazer, which yeah. they initially uh, called, I think, Tailblazer at first, and I'm like, that's a uh, that was a that was a very mis unfortunate typo. Like I, I don't want to know what <laughs> the editorial staff was thinking. Anyway, Maggie, who had the touch? Oh boy, I don't know. Can I just can I give it to the artwork? Because I really you like can, it. Like at, yeah. you can give the more I'm flipping you through it this, you want. it's that panel. Hang on, I really do like this stuff with the plane. Going through the bridge, this one. Can I show it on the screen? I like the explosions. <laughs> I want to give the touch to that the explosions. Pl- that plane crashing sure. through an overpass after is that after oh, Mirage messes with it. It's hard to tell which yeah, yeah, seekers yeah. which. It was in the original one because they were all drawn the same color then. So Nell Yamtov, who came over and did these, just kind of picked some and decided that that sky warp, I guess. It's just, okay. I don't know, little little doses of dopamine when I look at the artwork in this. I just, it really clicks with me. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yep, that is, that's absolutely okay, because uh, since I'm the one who determines the rules for the show, uh, Pat's still a hater. Maggie can do whatever it is she wants. Kevin doesn't make the rules. He said so. Yes. He was making rules. I, so. Yeah, I don't make the rules. I just make the rules. And with that I would give. To, I actually liked Sammy for the touch. I thought that even though like he was, I thought he was a brave kid to to do some of the things that he did and to be 
in a situation where they, they did a good job of explaining it. He actually thought that he was in a dream for a while. Um, but I thought that he was a brave kid. And um, actually, both him and his dad, they were both very brave under some otherworldly mm-hmm. circumstances. And so I, I do give their family a lot of credit for that. They really had that British stiff upper lip in the face of resilience. Mm-hmm. They did. Absolutely, sir. Pip, pip. Forget <laughs> about that. If we have talked about the touch, then someone had to be out of touch. We talk about the character that was the worst in the story. And they should have a super important message to give that will never be heard of because they got exploded in the segment called Less Than Meets the Eye. Pat, was well, it Less Than Meets the Eye to you? Of course there was. Jazz. Mm-hmm. With his <laughs> child enticement yes. going on there. I mean, he could have you even, you know, didn't even offer him any candy. Hey, you want to sit in a cool car? I am Skip with me. Get in the car with me. <laughs> no puppies. Yeah, no. He could have at least played him some Madonna. Yeah, or something. You know, Jazz likes Madonna. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Sure. Or some, yeah. some, what's the name? Brick Springsteen. Brick Springsteen. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Pat's not a big fan of uh, child endangerment. Uh, let's go with John. John, who was less than meets the eye to you? Jazz. Good God. Mm-hmm. I mean, for uh, <laughs> considering his, his triumphant, this one, fit, this one fits nicely in between his. Um, giving spark plug would, would be a heart attack by nearly setting him on fire and the um, nearly killing GB black wreck by driving off a cliff with him. So this one fits And in the meantime, apparently he skipped over the pond in order to um, kidnap a small child just because he had information that could have been gained in a number of other ways. But why go for that when you can just grab a kid off the street? I say so. Jazz, less than me see how is you. In fairness, John, he caught <laughs> Blackrock. He caught him. He didn't just let him drop. Oh, no. <laughs> but, I mean, he did, you know, he. I'm sure GB probably had to change his designer shorts after that one because that was about a 30-foot drop before he rested, you know, was landed nicely on Jazz's hand somehow with a giant head looking it down and said, so you going to yeah. sign or what? Yeah, GB's a rich man, though. He could afford new clothes. Maggie, <laughs> less than meets the eye. I'm going to give Ooh. it to Jazz, for sure. <laughs> that is not how you talk to children at all. Not only that, but, like, when he was stalking Sammy, he's, like, in full robot mode, just, like, lurking outside his house in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, that was Mirage. That, was, that Mirage. was Mirage. Right. Plus, I, but that's even worse. Mirage has actual abilities in order to disguise his ability himself beyond turning into a car, but instead he just decides to go wandering through the neighborhood. <laughs> Forgot about that. The, Auto, the Autobots do seem to sometimes forget that they, they have a built-in disguise. Ooh, although, something that I just remembered, it, it almost it was implying um, that they have, a, like, an attack transforming mode. Because I think at one point there's a line that says Jazz, like, assumes his attack mode? I think his attack mode is just his robot mode, is what they meant there. Yeah, okay. I, I think I think just his robot mode or in a particular, like, formation or something like that. I do know gotcha. what you're talking about. Um, okay. And I, I just thought that he yeah, just took a particular combat stance. Not that Sorry. that was, like, 
a third. You went to his battle stance. Yes, his yeah. battle stance and his coming. I mean, it is possible. Yeah, I mean, things like that happen, and you know martial arts and stuff like that. I'm the only one, by the way, less than me, who's going to go with the so-called man of iron, because apparently that's that mofo is good at like, you know, scaring humans and, and getting humans to worship him, but he has to fight against actual robots. He one got blown up. And, and <laughs> Starscream <laughs> made minced meat of this dude. It's like, boom, took out his leg. Boom, boom the bits. Out. Done. That's it. That like nuts. you're supposed to be a protector. You're not too bad, bro. Like really? That was to get you know completely in the weeds about this for a second. If this takes place in between you know two and three, then that means Starscream came back from this all puffed up, and that was when he went up to Megatron and, and like you know stood up to him the one time, and Megatron and this just blasts him. Yep. Yeah. Maybe it's like you know. I just took out the man of aluminum, a man of iron, and you know, <laughs> Megatron. No, no, wait, but wait. Uh, it would be the man of aluminium. Oh yes, because we're in England. We are in England. Too true. Aluminium, too true. Last. Too true. Ah. Never made sense to me ever. Is that probably yeah. because the French pronounce it the other way? That's why no. they do everything. Yeah, I mean, that explains a lot of American words too. You know, with Z's and S's, and you know what? Never mind. <laughs> Let's rate the book, lest we get too far off track. We're going to rate the whole story, by the way, one to ten, just like the text specs of old. And what did y'all think of Man of Iron storyline? I don't think we've started with Maggie for ratings yet. Maggie, what would you rate the Man of Iron storyline on a scale of one to ten? Across both books, scale of one to ten, I would give it a nine. I really did enjoy it. It, it, Despite the fact that I was a little confused by some of the plot points and Jazz has to go to some therapy. Um, I really did like it. I thought it was really different and unique um, and yet was still similar to the American story with the they're on Earth. They kidnap a small child and befriend him and kind of get him and his loved ones involved in their war. You know, that that kind of thing sort of follows along with the the American stories as well. Um, But I I really liked it. And so betwixt the two books, um, I'd I'd give them give it overall a nine. Fantastic. What about you, Pat? Well, I wasn't sure what we were going to get into with these because the way you guys were describing it prior was like, well, let's just do these two together and get it over with. So I'm like, okay, well, this probably isn't going to be a good story. They want to get through this thing kind of fast. So I was very trepidatious in going (laughs) into it. Um, but by the time I get done reading the first one, I'm like, oh man, I want to read the second one to see what happens in this thing. And I liked the chapter breaks that they did between it, which was, you know, because of the weekly stories, you know, chapter one was one issues and broke it up that way. So I found that very fascinating along with the artwork. I'm at an eight, pretty close to a nine, but I, I think I'm at an eight solid eight. Nice. Nice, nice. And yeah, you're saying you're confused. Another way of saying that is that you were all sixes and sevens. Yet another British phrase that I know. John, what would you rate Man of Iron, good sir? Um, Before I rate it, real quick, I just wanted to mention that um, Simon Furman was, even though he did not write this, he came to the series and took over as main writer right after this, uh, holds this story in very high regard. He said it, he had said once in an interview, even though he didn't write it, this is where he considers the British Transformers story starting to the point that when he just recently did um, 
Transformers 84 uh, miniseries that he put out, issue zero of that deals with this completely and answers a couple of questions that we've had that, that were brought up by us at one point, explains what the message was and, and actually gives a very sinister idea about why Optimus Prime chose to destroy that rather than possibly check and see if there were other Autobots who could have gained their uh, or could have joined their cause. I will rate this a 10 because I'm in a great mood. I probably was at a solid nine at the beginning of this, but uh, we had such a great conversation about it that it even bumped it up even more and reminded me of things. So this, uh, these issues are practically perfect for me. Awesome. I'm at an eight. I was at a seven. I was moved to get an eight because I really did not know that this was the first Marvel UK story. I thought they just pulled one at random. So I never knew it was the first and it was interwoven uh, between what had happened between uh, Transformers issues one through four of the American version. So that is a very clever interweave for them to apply that to uh, something that happened over in England. And it was a great storyline of robots fighting in a war. Very, very well done. I was impressed by it. Uh, it definitely was offbeat from what we are used to from the American storylines, but a very, very good story nonetheless. So uh, I will stand at an eight. Uh, I enjoyed it myself, and I'm glad that everyone else did too. And with that, let's take a promo break. The Transformers will return after these messages. You are receiving a transmission from the Rod Pod. Upload pending. Stand by for soundtrack transfer. I am Maggie. And I am John. And we are trapped, hurtling through space in a ship shaped like Rodimus's head. The ship, for reasons we haven't been able to determine, contains the entire run of the IDW Transformers Phase 2 comic which chronicle the events following the end of the war between the Autobots and Decepticons. So we figure we may as well read them all in order and report our findings to you. Stand by. Stand by. Upload complete now. Pod. Look for us at marriedwcomics.libsyn.com, at iTunes, at Stitcher, or wherever good podcasts can be found. So, uh, till all are one. Till all are one. We now return to the Transformers. No transmissions for this month, ladies and gentlemen. We apologize for that. We will return with transmissions next month. But uh, we just would like to take this time to say thank you to everyone who has listened to the podcast uh, and who has sent in any iTunes comments or letters or anything like that. And we're going to get to where you can continue to do so uh, momentarily. And that's the show. 
please come back and join us for the next episode where, okay, we're, we're going to discuss the Headmasters series of the Transformers for Transformers Chronicles 34. Couple of reasons. One, we think that it's a pretty important series because a lot of those characters will be introduced later on into the main storyline. And two, if we had to cover Transformers issue 35 on Chronicles 34, my OCD would act up and we don't want that. Now, in issue 35 of Transformers, just in case you were wondering, the fate of Blaster is finally revealed. So that's going to be something to come back for. But we definitely want you to come back for Transformers Chronicles 34 as well. And we're going to discuss the Headmasters. Now, if you'd like to hear more from us, the Longbox Crusade, we are in a lot of places. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and YouTube. You look for Longbox Crusade, you can find us. We are especially dipping out that YouTube channel because Pat is mixing and cutting and putting Long Box Crusade episodes on the feed uh, as they come up. So, like, please subscribe so uh, and and spread the word about the podcast and about the YouTube feed so we can get uh, all our all of our love and goodness out to all the other people. We even have a voicemail that you can leave us a voicemail comment on. That is seven zero seven five three two five two six nine. That is seven zero seven five three two L Box. Pick up the phone. Thank you, Pat. I knew someone was going to say that. And you can email us also at contact at longboxcrusade.com. Special shout outs to our Crusaders Club members, $1 a month. And you can join us. We give you all sorts of free swag. Come join us on Patreon. And now it's time for John and Maggie to tell us about their podcast and where they can be found on the internet. Oh, we are MWC Podcast. MWC stands for a lot of various things. Married with comics, married watching cartoons, although lately it's just basically married with canines. Uh, you can find us by looking for MWC Podcasts. Turn it um, on any podcatcher. Um, your Audible device will find us under that point, too. We also do the Rod Pod in theory. Still, uh, where we cover the IDW Transformers books in order. Good way to find me is also on Twitter. I am MWC underscore podcast. And I am at Maggie and the Rain. Pat, you're not going to sing that? She was walking Rhoda. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And with that wonderful outlet, Pat, please tell us where you can be found. Well, Delvin, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. Back to you, Delvin. Thank you, Pat. I can be found on Twitter at DEE underscore RAY1977. Thank you all for listening. See you next time. And remember, freedom is the right of all sentient beings. Till all are one. Till Til all, all are one. one. Yay! Y'all coordinated that. Excellent. That was beautiful. (laughs) I mean, the best that ever done it. That was awesome. You got the touch. You got the power. Yeah! All songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended, and it is for entertainment purposes only. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. Away.
streets Break the rules Take the heat You're nobody's fool You're at your best When the going gets rough You've been put to the test But it's never enough You got the touch You got the power Breaking loose, you'll be right in the eye of the storm. You got the heart, you got the motion. You know that when things get too tough, you got the touch. Takes your fighter.